This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast here today with another episode in our uh, residency spotlights for the 2021-22 interview season. Today we're joined by Dr. Greg Murad, the program director at University of Florida's neurosurgery program. Now, Dr. Murad and I were talking before we got on the air, as, as our listeners hear me say too frequently, I'm a Florida native, not far from Gainesville, my hometown of Jacksonville. And I, of course, went to Florida State, the longstanding rival of the University of Florida. So with magnanimity and grace, we are nevertheless having Dr. Murad on to uh, talk about the program. So, sir, welcome to the show. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and uh, let them know who you are and your background. Well, um, yes, thank you guys very much for having me. Um, I'm Greg Murad. I uh, have been the residency program director here at UF for the last, this is my seventh year. Uh, I trained at the University of Florida for neurosurgery residency, um, but I'm originally from Vermont um, and went to medical school in Vermont um, and then came down here for residency and have stayed on faculty since 2008. So, Dr. Murad, um, you know, just, just to kind of set the stage for our listeners, why don't you talk a bit about uh, Gainesville's program overall, you know, things like the rotations and the general structure, the students I'm sure will get at the interview day and online, but maybe talk in broad strokes about what the program looks like to you from the inside. Well, I, I think that our, uh, you know, we're, we're a little bit of a, um, we're a bigger program, you know, um, we take three residents per year. Uh, we have a uh, I think we're we're a clinically busy program. You know, we um, do about four thousand um, operations per year, uh, if you include endovascular cases. Um, and so our residents are are busy clinically from the start. Um, I think the the nice thing about our program is that our we work out of you know essentially one hospital um, as well as a VA hospital, but they're all within you know they're all within walking distance of one another. Uh, and so our program is, um, I think we're a pretty close knit program because we, you know, see one another um, on, a, on a, almost every single day. I see pretty much all of the residents and all of the faculty. So it's a, um, I think that our um, familiarity with one another helps to, to build sort of a family um, group in our program. So, Dr. Murad, I, I remember interviewing at UF, and UF at the time was was run by the great Al Roten, and it was such a fun process because back then they had a realtor take us around Gainesville, show us the houses residents were buying, and I heard there was like some kind of a party trolley you guys had going around. And obviously, with COVID, we're not we're not getting all that. What are you guys doing to to show residents the the flavor and culture of your program? Well, so so what we do is. Um... We have a you know an, an intro when the when we um, interview uh, via Zoom, unfortunately, and then we have sort of Zoom you know breakouts with our residents uh, where uh, we we break them up and you know where they talk about different aspects of the program like research and um, and clinical and uh, what it's like to live in Gainesville and you know having a family and that sort of stuff. And so I, I think our residents uh, do a um, a nice job of showing that, that Gainesville is a really fun place to live. You know, you guys live in Florida. And so um, one of the things that I point out is that more than half of our graduates, despite coming from all over the country, actually stay in Florida when they're done. Um, you know, over the length of our program, we've had about 100 graduates. 
Uh, and so, you know, Florida is just a really great place to live and an easy place to live. And um, Gainesville has a lot of, it's not a big city, but it has, you know, some big city amenities, but also has small town and college town life that, that our residents really appreciate. You know, it's well taken, uh, Dr. Wang, that you mentioned the tenure of Dr. Roten there at the University of Florida, who, of course, still looms large in our field. His, his legacy is not forgotten. And, of course, so many luminaries in our field passed through the University of Florida's faculty during his time. I wonder, with such a rich history of contributions to uh, the academics of neurosurgery, both in terms of personnel and, of course, the basic science, the anatomy, the atlas um, that Dr. Roten helped to construct, I wonder if you could talk a bit about what uh, contributions are currently being pursued. What degree of involvement do residents have in academics and research pursuit during any elective time uh, during their residency? Yeah, so so we you know are are committed to you know educating residents in um, research as well, and you know um, that's part of our you know mission of the department and. Um, our residents have access to, you know, a variety of different research areas. You know, I, I think that probably our our biggest research areas in, in basic science um, is in the treatment of brain tumors, uh, specifically immunotherapy for brain tumor research. Um, first, Dr. Roten, and then Dr. Friedman, who followed him as chair uh, and just um, stepped down as chair a few years ago after 20 years as chair, um, built a a uh, very large philanthropic um, presence at the university, um, allowing our department to be, you know, what we call endowed, meaning we have $70 million, which has been donated and then, you know, curated by our department to use for um, supporting research. Um, and so in 2013, we actually, you know, recruited a number of brain tumor scientists who came to join the, the faculty and have um, provided a significant return on investment. You know, we're up to $80 million um, of, of sort of return on investment from the faculty we've recruited in that area. Um, but I think other areas of um, research that the residents are involved in are um, movement disorders, um, vascular neurosurgery is another area. You know, our chairman, Brian Ho, um, is R01 grant funded um, for, for um, trying to, to treat uh, aneurysms, um, medically rather than than surgically, you know, to try to put himself out of a job. Um, but so our residents, you know, from essentially, you know, your PGY one year, you uh, start and you kind of get get your, your feet wet as a doctor, but starting PGY two, our residents are expected to do a research project each year, which we sort of help shepherd through. Uh, and we have a research day that um, they get to present their research projects um, along with, you know, a mentor who's helped them to um, develop these projects during the course of the year. Yeah, you know, it's funny you bring up that grant because there is a backstory uh, on that with Miami, and uh, it's probably predates your tenure there. <laughs> but anyhow, um, <laughs> that's another topic for another time and lots of drinks with Barth Green. But um, yeah, it is it is fascinating to see how University of Florida has transitioned in terms of how the program um has changed since the pre uh, and then during and after Al Roten days. Where do you see the program headed in the future? Well, I, I think that the, um, you know, we've been very lucky that we've had a lot of stability in our program. You know, um, as I said, Dr. You know, Dr. Roten was the first chair uh, and then Dr. Friedman took over as chair and was chair for 20 years. And now Brian Ho um, took over as chair uh, in 2018. And so, you know, we've only had 
three leaders. And so um, that, that's been a lot of stability. But I think Brian, you know, as the you know immediate, um, he was just the president of the Congress of Neurosurgeons. You know, he's he's a very ambitious person, um, and he helped shepherd the program. You know, from the leadership of Friedman, you know, we we opened a brand new hospital that's dedicated to neuromedicine uh, in December of 2017, um, and then you know, Brian's brother Dan Ho, who, who Dr. Wang knows well, um, is you know leader of our uh, multidisciplinary spine center. And so, you know, I think our program is really, you know, has had a long history of excellence. And really what we're kind of in, in now is just continued growth, you know, of our um, clinical practices and, and our research arm. Well, that's great. You know, as we uh, draw this conversation to a close, we briefly touched on before the the old party trolley and how you used to show folks around Gainesville. But I wonder, since the st students can't visit this year, maybe you could talk a bit about life in Gainesville and what it's like for the residents. I, I have waxed poetic on the show before about life in Northern Florida and all the beauties it has to offer. Obviously, Gainesville is a big sports town with the swamp and the gators, but maybe you could share for the applicants what it's like for the residents to live there for seven years, what kinds of things they do in their free time, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I think Gainesville is a great place. Um, it's easy to, as I said, it's easy to live here. You know, a number of the residents have houses. You know, the, I think the cost of living in Gainesville is low. The cost of living in Florida in general is low, which um, allows them to um, have some space. Uh, they have, uh, you know, time to uh, pursue things mainly, you know, I think outdoor activities. Uh, there are some bigger cities that are around, which, you know, like Tampa, Jacksonville, um, that, uh, or Orlando, you know, that they can go do sort of bigger city events. But I think Gainesville's main sort of heart is the, uh, the university and um, college town events. And I, I think that our, I think our residents enjoy that. Um, and they also spend a lot of time with one another. Uh, again, I think the nature of our residency is such that um, not only do you spend a lot of time at work, but the residents kind of um, become some of your best friends. And I can say that some of my resident cohort are are my best friends. And so um, I, I think that it's we, we have kind of a family atmosphere in our program. Wonderful. Well, uh, on behalf of ourselves and more, more importantly, the applicants listening, we want to thank you so much for your time coming on the show today to give them an inside look into neurosurgery at the University of Florida. Thank you, sir. Well, yeah, thank you guys again for, for having me. Um, and I hope everybody will take a look at UF and maybe come and join us um, and become Gators someday. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Tonight, we are simply delighted to have back a good friend of the show, Dr. Nate Selden, the program director in this capacity at uh, OHSU in Portland, Oregon, who's joining us tonight to give us an inside scoop on what OHSU neurosurgery has to offer for the applicants this year in the 2021-22 interview season. Dr. Selden, welcome back to the show. Thanks. It's great to be with you. You know, it's ironically just around this time we had you on uh, for your first interview where we spoke about the virtual interview season and what students could expect in that unprecedented year. And now here we are with things somewhat shifting back to normal, but still a historic first as things this year are going to be a virtual interview, possible in-person visits. So 
we thought how better than to have you back, not to talk about the field as a whole this time, but to share with the applicants this year what exactly life is like within OHSU neurosurgery. So maybe you can give them an overview from your perspective about what life is like in the program. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, things are, uh, you know, really settling into a new normal here. Uh, the things that we've carried through are, I think, the most important things and really never left, even during COVID. And that's uh, having a really strong culture of, of um, friendship and collaboration and, and support and working as a team uh, and great relationships, not just between the residents and faculty, but also our advanced practice providers and administrators and the other uh, teams that we work with in the hospital, like our navigation spe specialists, anesthesiologists, OR nurses. It's just a, it's a terrific community to be a part of. And no matter what the challenges have been and the ups and downs of COVID, you know, we've known what we had to do. Uh, a lot of cl clear communication and expectation setting. And we've known we can rely on each other as part, part of that team. So I think that's pretty much unchanged while everything else was turned upside down. You know, I, I marvel at someone like you, Dr. Selden, because I can only imagine how busy you are to wear so many hats. Um, you, you serve as both the chair and the program director there in Portland. And so I wonder, conventionally, we think that the chairman's responsible for the department as a whole and the culture, the vision of the program. And then the program director is responsible for the residency, both the training and taking care of the residents. Do you find that serving in both capacities or wearing both hats, it's, I mean, obviously it's more of a, it's taxing, it takes more of your time, but do you find that it's easier to enact the clear vision you have for what the program is that you want to bring for the residents? Well, that's a great question. And we're in a, we're in a strange moment. So I think it's too much of a job for one person to do both. Right. But we're actually in a wonderful transition uh, moment here uh, because our previous program director, just fabulous, came here as, um, and, I, and I did this job, by the way, for 12 years before I became chair, but I, I don't believe in hoarding jobs. So I, I passed it to a, a great colleague, Justin Cetus, uh, who came here as an intern and left just a few months ago as a chair uh, of a program in Arizona. So that's just a wonderful success for us, and we're very proud of him. But that left us with a transition. And during that time, I wanted to serve as the program director and be able to have some direct sight lines to the vision and the culture and make sure that it persisted and even and even grew and 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 became and developed new new positive aspects as well. And during this year that I anticipate uh, that will be the time that I'm program director again, I'm working very, very closely with uh, two associate program directors who are concentrating on different aspects of the residency, learning the ropes and participating in the culture, not just as faculty uh, members and teachers, but also as leaders so that I can then hand it back uh, probably next year uh, and uh, continue sharing the 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 way forward with me in the department chair seat with, and then with both of these individuals, one who would be the formal program director and one continuing as an associate. So um, a lot of what we do is really intentionally develop people. That's why we're here. That's why we love teaching and professional development for the faculty and getting, you know, having a bench and getting them ready are equally important. And so that's the strategy. 
Now, Dr. Selden, for uh, some of the applicants, would you be able to talk a little bit about the clinical experience in your program? OHSU is pretty unique in that it's the only program in Oregon, uh, and so it has a wide catchment area across a lot of the Western United States. Could you talk a little bit about the early surgical experience and the early clinical experience you guys have at OHSU? Yeah, absolutely. We try to get the residents in the operating room throughout uh, residency, um, and they, you know, they grow obviously in the kinds of uh, things that they do and the and the level of depth and knowledge uh, that they have. Um, the catchment area is is tremendous. When I was training in pediatric neurosurgery and fellowship, you know, they, I'd see really unusual uh, congenital pathology. They say, well, you probably never see one of these again in practice. And you know, I come to Oregon and see five in the first six months. I mean, it's just extraordinary. And that's true, really, across pediatric and adult neurosurgery, endovascular, um, uh, you know, vascular stuff, um, open, open as well. Um, all of the different subspecialties of pediatrics, epilepsy, functional, on and on and on. Uh, phenomenal tumor, both skull base and intrinsic uh, practice. And all of these are more importantly than just doing the operations are supported by interdisciplinary clinics, tumor and epilepsy boards. Uh, specialized teams, uh, you know, for everything from craniofacial disorders to an adult and a separate pediatric neuro-oncology specific tumor board and on and on. And that that allows people to grow in their understanding and their decision making and to also take care of the cases. In fact, we've had really one gap, which is pretty pretty obscure one, is that pediatric brachial plexus, but our uh, fellow from last year in pediatrics is doing an additional fellowship in brachial plexus and is going to come back and be a pediatric nurse surgeon and an adult pediatric brachial plexus surgeon. Um, so we, we really have no uh, clinical gaps across the breadth of, of neurosurgery. And I think that's important when you're starting out. You never know what is going to spark your interest and you may devote your career to. Well, like the exception that proves the rule, I, I'd say if pediatric brachial plexus is the gap in a program, you're doing all right. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I'll, I will, uh, I'll slightly take off my hat of objectivity and b before letting you take it away, I I'm going to speak a little bit about Portland. When I interviewed there a few years ago, I had never been to the Pacific Northwest and the schedule worked out such that I, I had, I think two or three extra days between different locations. So I flew out there and I stayed for an extra day before and after my interview and I spent a full day hiking around the gorgeous natural area surrounding the actual hospital there at OHSU. I remember the uh, the air tram, the trolley ride on the cable car that you had us come down at sunset. And I had my interview with Dr. Cetus when he was still there. And I think we spent the whole time just talking about his favorite hikes and his favorite areas around the city. So, you know, full disclosure, I follow you on Twitter. So I see your runs and I, I see the, the photos that you get of the outdoors there. So. I, I know that there's enough to offer that I didn't take the wind out of your sails. As easy as it may sound, why don't you sell the applicants on Portland and, and the activities available to the residents there? Yeah, glad to. I mean, I, I grew up here. It's really unusual to come back and be a faculty member and eventually a chair at a department in the place you grew up. I love Portland. Um, and it is just a, an amazing place. You can go out to the gorge and do some of the see some of the most spectacular terrain in the world uh, and do amazing hikes. You go up in the Cascades an hour away and ski. Some people go up and night ski at the closest area uh, after work occasionally. Uh, 
Um, or you can go over to Bend three hours away and have sort of uh, world-class uh, skiing on all sides, 360 degrees around the mountain on Mount Bachelor. You can have some of the best whitewater in the country. You can, uh, you know, road bike or mountain bike. You can go wine tasting. Uh, you can enjoy a lot of culture here in Portland and one of the best foodie towns in the country. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to diss the French, but we now make the best Pinot Noir in the world, hands down. Um, and, uh, and a lot of other great wine as well. So it's just, it's just an extraordinary place, but I think the best thing is the people. There's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of almost tongue in cheek stuff about Portland and the show Portlandia and everything, but it's riffing on an underlying truth, which is Portland people are really curious about other people. They have a strong sense of inclusion and welcoming and, and social justice. Um, and they, you know, we, there's really a culture here of making everybody feel comfortable and bringing, and bringing them into the community. And that doesn't mean we don't have, you know, our crazy national headlines or, or glitches like any other place. But I think fundamentally, um, the people here are just wonderful to be around and interested in, in meeting both inside the medical center and just in the community at large and meeting people from other places and, uh, uh, getting to know them. And, and many people end up you know, staying in Oregon. It's such a fantastic place. So. Well, thanks, Dr. Selden. Uh, we appreciate having you on again on the podcast. We always appreciate your insights into residency education and this time into your program. Uh, thank you from all of us here at the Neurosurgery Podcast. And we think all the applicants are really going to enjoy uh, hearing your insights into, into Oregon. So thanks again. Glad to be here. And thanks for letting us talk about uh, what we do out here. Appreciate it. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today we're here with another installment in our series spotlighting the neurosurgery training programs across North America, and any listeners of the show will know this is a special episode. Today I am over the moon delighted to be joined by Dr. Steve Giannata, who serves as both chair and program director at USC. Um, as you all know, Dr. Wang, who unfortunately couldn't be with us today, trained at USC, has deep ties to the program and to Dr. G., and, uh, you know, I'm just honored that he trusted me to do this interview and to have this time to talk again with Dr. Giannata, who I'll remind you was on the show previously to respond for the neurosurgical community to the doctor death phenomenon, which largely, uh, largely prompted us to form the show to begin with. So, Dr. G, I'm going to bite my tongue and, and let you say hello to our audience again. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, and and uh, definitely thank Mike for inviting me. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to interact with you guys. You do a, a real quality service for neurosurgery with your podcasts, and uh, yeah, I'm 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 I still have scars from the Doctor Death thing, but uh, but it was uh, it was something that needed to be discussed, and uh, so I'm, uh, I'm 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 glad to do it, and I'm Amen. glad to be here today. Amen. And today what needs to be discussed is USC. And who better to uh, talk to the people about what it's like from the inside, what the philosophy, the mindset, and the culture of the program is than you, Dr. G, who single-handedly helmed the program. So maybe if you could, for our listeners, for the applicants this year who won't have a chance to come there in person, visit the campus, give us a sense of the flavor, uh, the buzz that's in the air at USC Neurosurgery. Well, um, the the buzz uh, is generated uh, on a number of uh, levels. Um, of course, we're a big program in a big city. Uh, we're um, 
uh, of the approximately, what, 115 neurosurgical training programs now, there aren't that many uh, that are based at a level one trauma center uh, 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 uh public support hospital. You have one there, Mike has one there in Miami. Um, but we are uh, almost unique in that uh, the title of our training program includes our trauma hospital. We're, uh, if you look um, at the uh, match, um, you'll find that we're, and you look at the ACGME, uh, you find that we're, our title is LAC USC Medical Center. So in that sense, it, it's unique. And um, one of the defining uh, characteristics of our training program is an intense amount of time uh, is spent at the level one trauma center where uh, residents uh, quickly uh, develop uh, uh, skill sets that allow them to act progressively more independently in terms of patient care and uh, and um, uh, psychomotor uh, skills, and uh, um, and they're 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 running their own services and their own surgical procedures. So in that sense, it's it's um, kind of a uh, it's defined itself among uh, uh, other training programs. We have uh, 25 surgical faculty, so we're relatively large. Uh, that's not um, all of our uh, department. We've probably got in the in the department alone with our research uh, people and our administrative people uh, and our nurses and and uh, nurse practitioners and uh, and PAs we, we probably number approximately 80 people in our department we're not uh, we're well we're not uh, the conventional wisdom is that we're the so-called clinical program um, as opposed to some um, some of the, our other um, sister programs in the state of California, but the fact of the matter is, is that we have a $5 million government funding budget. We have a number of faculty who have multiple R01s. Uh, and uh, we have a reputation for putting uh, people directly into academic uh, positions uh, once they finish their residency. It's, um, uh, it's um, uh, not commonly known, but less than a third of neurosurgeons are in academic positions, and we all know that when we're applying for residency, our goal is to be what our mentors are, which are academicians. But in in effect, that isn't uh, the reality. And for in most cases, most most uh, graduates end up in uh, in um, uh, in practice uh, situations. But uh, our resident graduates end up getting uh, some of the most prestigious fellowships in the country, uh, and and. Um, uh, between two thirds and three quarters of them end up in academic positions. And we now have seven of our graduates are uh, our department chairs across the country. And of course, you know, Dr. Wang is a sterling example of someone who went on uh, to academia. And to your point about academic productivity in the residency, I, I believe he finished his residency with at least one patent under his belt uh, to boot, not to speak of publications. 
But I, I think, Dr. G, when when people do think of USC and the program, the, the legend and the history and the power of it and the idea of it is, as you mentioned, the work that's done in the county hospital. And I think the word that would come to mind for anyone who knows anything about training programs in the field right now and applying right now is, is independence and the, the degree of independence that your residents historically and in the legends of USC have in that county hospital. Uh, you know, I, I've heard stories of running their own clinic, booking their own cases, having their own surgical scheduler to help them. And I know when I had the honor to visit a couple years ago for my interview, there was some talk that there were there was some amount of mandated changes happening with the autonomy of the residents in the county hospital. Maybe if you could, for the people in the field right now, speak to what, what the current program structure is in those senior years and those transition to practice years when you're running the service in the county hospital. What's the current level of attending involvement and is that changing moving forward for the program? No, all, that, all great questions. Uh, the uh, county um, hospital is, uh, houses the, the uh, rotations for, among others, the PGY-7s. So the, we have uh, three residents here, which means this year we have three chiefs and they uh, each run a separate service. Uh, they, as you mentioned, have their own clinics. They have their own OR schedules. Uh, they do their own rounding schedules, et cetera. Uh, we have uh, several of us faculty are actually based at the county hospital, but the majority of our faculty go back and forth between the county hospital and uh, the Keck Hospital and Children's Hospital. Uh, we have been able to maintain as much autonomy as possible. The change that you reference had to do with uh, uh, about uh, six, uh, seven years ago, the American Board of Neurological Surgery changed uh, the criteria for board certification from six years of residency to seven years of residency. So Technically, as you're as a PGY seven, you're still a resident. Well, if you're still a resident, that means you cannot be an attending position. Prior to that, when Mike was a resident here, uh, PGY seven was an attending position uh, and had all the rights and privileges of any other faculty member. That's not the case anymore. So, what does that mean in terms of um, resident autonomy? Uh, it means two things. It means that when a, a chief resident and all of his or her um, junior residents are seeing their clinics uh, on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, that an attending has to be in uh, uh, present. Uh, and uh, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Dr. Martin Weiss, who actually should be given credit for establishing uh, the uh, the academic credentials of this training program when he took it over in 1978 is uh, still goes to residence clinic and um, uh, you, you've never seen happier PGY1s and PGY2s who get to sit next to Dr. Weiss in the clinic and roll cases by him and get his uh, expert opinion. Uh, he tells uh, uh, great anecdotes, uh, uh, you know, about uh, his uh, practice over the years, as well as his photographic memory for the medical, and I mean medical, not necessarily just neurosurgical literature. Uh, and further, um, uh, uh, each uh, uh, PGY-7 chief that schedules a case uh, 
um, um, uh, identifies a faculty member who will uh, be present for the critical part of the case. In many instances, the faculty member doesn't even uh, scrub in. A lot of the cases that I oversee, if it's an MVD for, <clears throat> for um, hemifacial spasm or something like that, or a hemi certainly a hemicraniectomy or some trauma case, uh, or a simple brain tumor, I won't even scrub in. I'll just um, you know, view the videos and uh, the, re the chiefs will, with their PGY2, will conduct the entire case pretty much independently. So that's, that's the major difference uh, that, um, uh, that our, um, our program has um, uh, had to modify and to be compliant with uh, uh, the rules of our county hospital and the American Board of Neurological Surgery. Excellent. Well, you know, Dr. G, the last time you were on the show, as part of that discussion of Dr. Death, one of the points that you you hammered in, into the conversation, which really stuck with me and which, to be honest, I frequently quote to my fellow residents, um, was that fine filter. That was the phrase that you used, the fine filter that's used to select people deemed worthy of training within neurosurgery. And so looking at that fine filter that you apply there at USC, Maybe you could speak a bit about the residents you currently have that your filter generated, your cohort, and then in that light, what kind of people are you looking for? What kind of applicant is the ideal match there at USC? Yeah, it's a good question. I, you, you always like to think that your program is somehow unique and that um, you know, you're going to get uh, special, uh, uh, special applicants and you're going to select from a, a relative a few that meets these wonderful criteria. I think we all think that all, I'm sure all training programs in the country, country. think that they're going to attract uh, the best and the brightest. Well, as a matter of fact, neurosurgery does attract the best and the brightest. Hmm. And we know there's going to be uh, uh, about 235 slots open this year, and there's going to be well over 400 applicants for those slots. Uh, most of those applicants uh, we know have um, excellent credentials. They have gotten great grades in medical school. They've uh, now more than ever have um, a, a long list of uh, academic uh, accomplishments, including uh, long bibliographies. I'm, I'm amazed at uh, uh, are applicants that show up with 40 uh, peer-reviewed publications on their on their bibliography. Longer every so, year. Exactly, and so um, uh, they are the they are the cream of the crop. So who who fares the best? Who fares um, uh, uh, well in our uh, program here? We 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 have three hospitals. One of which is a, a major um, trauma safety net hospital, and one is the Keck Hospital, which has the uh, highest case. If you can believe this, it's a it's basically a 300 bed hospital that has the highest case mix index of any hospital in the country. Wow! And you think, well, wait a minute, why doesn't County? Why doesn't uh, Jackson Memorial? Why doesn't uh, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the Chicago hospitals have the highest case mix index. It's a, dil it's a dilution factor, right? 
because mm. they see peds and they do OB and they do uh, uh, a lot of primary care. At Keck Hospital, we do no primary care. We do heart transplants. We do brain aneurysms. We do skull-based tumors. We do glioblastomas. We do uh, multi-level deformity surgeries. So uh, the experience uh, that uh, the one gets from a surgical standpoint is kind of out of this world. So what do we need? We need residents who have uh, a strong ego in combination with a heightened sense uh, of their, uh, uh, of their um, I, I want to say, inadequacies in, in terms of skill set that they have yet to accomplish. Right. And the reason I say that is because a PGY-1 at the LA County Hospital on neurosurgery is like getting a Porsche for your 16th birthday. <laughs> All right, you are um, you are given a fair amount of responsibility early on, uh, and uh, you can, if you do not have a sense of your own um, uh, weaknesses in terms of your uh, acquired skill set, you're going to get in trouble and or the patient's going to get in trouble. And where that strong ego comes in is you need to access the chain of command. You need to, when you're starting to sense that you're in over your head, that's why your PGY2 is there. And when uh, that's not sufficient, that's why your PGY4 is there. That's why your PGY7 is there. That's why uh, Dr. Amar, chief of service, is there. And that's why I'm there. And I'm on backup call every night that I am physically on this planet. Hmm. So um, uh, that uh, sort of defines the, the type of resident uh, who comes with the grades, comes with the bibliography, uh, comes with the letters of recommendation, but somebody who has a firm sense of their own ego and, uh, and is willing to access the chain of command when he or she uh, bumps up against the uh, limits of their skill set. You know, Dr. G, at the risk of leading the witness, do you think it's harder to find those people this year with this virtual process? Yeah, I, you know, in that's, uh, I don't know if that is the issue so much uh, for us uh, because, you know, I, I give that speech I just gave, I give it virtually now instead of face-to-face. Um, but I think it's, I think it's more... Um, getting a real true sense for how compatible we're all going to be over the next seven years Mm. when you're doing it remotely and you're basically doing it on television. That's the way I view it. Right. Um, um, Sometimes we don't uh, make the right choice or let's put it this way between uh, the applicant and us, we don't make the right choice and, uh, and, uh, and someone doesn't, uh, you know, fit and Every five or six years, there's some attrition. Uh, I don't know that I am ready to start blaming that on uh, virtual um, uh, interviews, but um, I fear if we continue with this, uh, that we're going to start to have some problems with, uh, uh, you know, poor, uh, poor uh, selections, poor match selections. Fair enough. Well, Dr. G, I I know that I could sit here and talk to you all night and the applicants in our audience would probably love it as much as I do, but we need to respect your time. 
Um, I won't I won't run you through the paces of talking about life in Los Angeles. It's one of America's great cities, and I, I'm sure the people know the reputation and the things to see and do. Um, but I will, you know, under, underline and underscore for our listeners uh, a, a strong ego with a sense of your inadequacies. I think that's a perfect description for anyone matching into neurosurgery, and I, I pray that that fits me even a little bit. Um, so, Dr. G, as always, we love having you on the show. Thank you for coming on today to, to tell the people about neurosurgery at USC. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, and good luck with the show. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.